All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Blake's going to take it away first. Yeah, so uh, this is peer to fucking peer. Uh, me and Brant jumped down the Bitcoin rabbit hole here recently. And we just think it's pretty much the most important thing to hit this planet for a really long time. And we're excited to talk about it. We've been talking about it amongst ourselves. We'd like to air out some of these discussions, uh, maybe form a small community that likes to talk about this type of shit. Nice, dude. I'm glad you practiced that like 20 times before. We started this. Is it weird that I have note cards? <laughs> There's no video, dude. You don't have to confess things like that. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right, so the theme of this one's going to be decentralized. And Brant, I believe you had a thesis on just decentralizing everything. Okay, yeah, I can jump right into it. It's like a, a few-minute spiel, uh, maybe elevator pitch. But, um, I mean, I think the, the key behind it before I jump into it is, like, this is the main reason... I'm so obsessed with Bitcoin right now. And it's not just the fact that it's DeFi and it's not controlled by the government and it's a way to set us free, which those things are also awesome. But it's the uh, implications that I see the technology having when applied to anything and everything else. So I'll get right into what, decent, what, what excites me about it. So when we're looking at decentralization, right, I think this is a problem that mankind has been struggling to solve since the beginning of time. And... I'll give you evidence dating back to our founding fathers only, and you can find the rest on your own. But the founding fathers created a system of government that is decentralized, right? Power was held in the states or even pushed down further than that to cities, counties, towns, whatever. And now over the past 250 years, sure, power has consolidated itself over time at the federal level, at the, at the federal government. But the founding fathers enabled us to have America, our, our phenomenal society up until this point, while it was consolidating power. And then you see things like the growth of technology and the internet is really the next great, great leap that I'll reference. You've got information being decentralized, right? It's being pushed out. It's anyone and everyone is able to access information. You look at a company like Google, you're able to search and find anything and that empowers the individual, right? And now over time, Google has, has consolidated power just like the federal government and become this central entity. And now we've gotten to a point where Google decides what your search results are going to be. So essentially, the trend is things start out as decentralized. And then over time, once they've gained power, they change their model to a, a centralized system and they seek to retain the power that they've gained. And you can see this not only with Google, you look at Facebook, it provides people the ability to decide what the world sees of them, right? Like what, what profile they have, what photos they see, who they are. It's now in the individual's hands. Um, and you see the exact same thing. Facebook ends up filtering what you're allowed to post and what you're allowed to say because over time it became a, a, a central entity. You can say the same about Amazon, Apple. I mean, all of these companies, it's, it's the same story. And so what we're seeing with Bitcoin and with this decentralization is there is no longer a platform who owns or a company who owns the platform, right? There, you no longer need that central authority. Uh, for Bitcoin, it's a central bank or some sort of financial system. You have the protocol that you trust and everyone is able to go peer to peer with their finances. And I think this is something that is going to be applied to almost everything else, Facebook, I mean, just hosting websites, um, putting information out there, messaging back and forth, you're going to be able to send it directly to a peer instead of what we currently do is I send something, it gets sent to Facebook, and then Facebook routes it to 
the peer that I was trying to send it to. That's I think that's going to be on the wayside in 10, maybe 20 years. You think people won't be able to, like a company won't be able to own data? Like essentially like Facebook owns our profiles and pictures and everything like that. You think it's headed towards a person would somehow, through some invention, own all of their data where like a Facebook would more or less just be kind of like a protocol that would interface with the data that you own? Yeah, I think so. I mean, these companies could still exist, right? You could still have a Facebook and maybe someone would want to sign up and be on on a platform that is selling their data. But I, I don't. I know I wouldn't do that. Right. And I don't know what the incentive would be to do that unless they change their business model. Right. I mean, like, cable still exists right now, even though... Like, if you think that Facebook's just not going to exist in 20 years, I think you'd be wrong about that. But do they... Do they lie at the locus of all the power? Right. Do they have a yeah. monopoly on on the social platform, social network, a social yeah. network? Right. Yeah. And I think the answer is no. And just like you said, you're gonna own you're gonna own the data, and you're gonna own who sees your profile pictures, who sees who sees everything. It's it's gonna be held whether it's held by you specifically or someone else, and it's encrypted where only people you give a certain key to are able to access it. Makes no difference. At the end of the day, it's you're you're regaining your privacy. Right. Yeah. I think so. Bitcoin's more or less the solution to digital scarcity, right? Creating scarcity in the digital world. The solution to privacy, I think, is still being approached by several angles. Just a rough sketch of it. Like the default should obviously be that you give as little information as possible, right? Which is kind of the opposite of how, fun- how things function right now. If I'm signing up for a Facebook app, obviously my default is not for the microphone to be fucking on all the time, listening and categorizing to what I'm talking about. That's absurd. Yeah, 100%. That, right. But I'm powerless to stop it. I don't know shit about it. Well, you accepted the terms and agreements, so obviously you've accepted them recording everything. Did you, right. Did you not read the 80 pages? <laughs> well, I'm protected by the government because they're, they've got my data at interest, right? Or privacy, <laughs> right? They care about my privacy? Oh yeah, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna safeguard that knowledge and use it to track you if they ever need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, you can trust them. Yeah, nothing's ever gonna go, gonna go bad. We've never seen a government become corrupt over time or uh, use its power for for anything negative. Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> but yeah, I see things in the future. We're gonna invent a way for things to be privacy first, and I think a lot of it has to do. Information is tough, right? Because information, it's, it's basically free to copy at this point, and it's easy to spread around. And that's, that's the whole dilemma is how to bring these concepts of privacy, scarcity, things like that, that have allowed our civilization to function into the digital space. The best answer for privacy I can think of is like a canary trap type of situation where you know how they have documents where they have like multiple versions of a certain document. So like, let's say for example, you know, rich company doesn't want a certain trade secret getting out, right? So they have like secret watermarks on each of the 10 documents. So that way, you know, if Tim versus Ronnie sends out the document, they can trace it back and know who actually accessed it, right? Or other forensic methods like that. That's the best that I can think of right now, along with some third party, like enforcement, but obviously the peer-to-peer theme, the peer-to-peer switch or revolution will need something that doesn't depend on a third party enforcing it. Yeah. So you don't think cryptography alone can solve that, that problem for us? 
because if if I only give certain people access to let's just say my face my new Facebook page whatever it would be called right and I say hey if you want to view it you know I add you to my friends list or whatever and maybe I send all my friends this certain key yeah well okay so so like that example right say you want to live privately and you just want to have you know your pictures of you on family vacation only go to your close friends what's to stop your close friend from you know copying that image screenshotting it or whatever and then sending it to someone else the only thing that i can think of right now is a way to like track to ensure that it was that person that had sent it and then being able to hold that person accountable right that's the canary trap you were talking about right um, but there's no way to just stop that information from going well even with that solution I mean, they could take a photo of the of the picture, right? That you don't, that you only want to share with your close friends, right? And they could, well, number one, it's altered by the fact that let's say they took You're a photo with a their phone, right? It's already altered, so you couldn't prove it. I, I guess I don't know what the watermark would be or what what specifically. Right, I would like, think um, you would send it through a hash, and it would come out with a certain value. But by taking a picture of a picture, and if you hash that, it's going to come out as something. Totally different. Right. This is the problem with like NFTs and like IPFS and other stuff like that is like, okay, well, you that's cool that you could take content, hash it, and have a unique title for a movie or something like that, but you change one pixel on any of that, and it's a completely different hash, completely different movie, and so on. As, yeah. According to the web. Right. Yeah. So we've had, yeah, we've actually talked about this before off, off the podcast, but I mean, I think if we're talking about... And there's just so much, yeah, so much media stuff to cover. But if we're talking about movies or songs that are published uh, by artists or by a film studio, I mean, we talked about people being willing to pay. Since you're not going through all these middlemen like Netflix, uh, Disney Plus, whatever, you're able to just imagine you can just watch watch a movie and pay the three cent, five cents royalty uh, for every movie that you watch, and it gets <clears throat> automatically sent to the studio to to distribute it to its personnel who worked on the movie and, and are owed royalties, or uh, if we're talking about a music artist, it can go directly to the music artist. And how do you stop people from changing, yeah, just one part of that song and then publishing it as their own and collecting collecting money from a fake copy of a song? And we talk, you know, that might be the use case for some third party to come in and say, hey, you can trust us. We are only hosting legit content that we've received from the legitimate uh, producers, whether it's Disney, whether it's Paramount, or a music artist, we only host the official versions of the song to ensure that the artists and the people who created it are going to get paid. And obviously, it's up to the artists and the producers to to hold that third party accountable um, and make sure that they don't have any wrong art or music on there. Right. You're you're. It's still possible to just share it, just like it's possible to share a pirated movie. But you're just relu- you're saying like you'd lower the price so much that and you make the payment automatic, so then you would go on. <laughs> Is that the pizza? I forgot about it, dude. Oh shit! It's perfect. <laughs> it looks burnt. <laughs> it's perfect. Anyways, Blake, pick up where we left off, please. So I because th- I have no clue where it was. So I see technology over time is rewarding more and more creative work. So it's it's linking the person who can just make interesting YouTube videos, like maybe he's traveling the world or jumping on trains or boats or making a log cabin in the woods and it's connecting him that person directly to some other consumer anywhere else in the world. All these middlemen that used to sit 
in between those two people, like the guy that would run the TV show, the producer, the suits that would control it, the people that would get licensing rights, and all that, they all stand in between the two. They stand between the people producing content and the person that is trying to consume it. Right, the leeches. The leeches. And, well, from a creative industrial perspective, yeah. You could say that they're they're upholding intellectual property rights, right, and controlling that content so that way it's not just bootlegged by someone else and the, and the content creator would be able to be rewarded. But I think in the next coming decades, once that is solved, it's going to just be a direct connection from content creators to the producers and everybody standing in between is going to be cut out. I mean, think about cryptocurrencies and being able to cut out not needing checks, banks, anything else like that in order to send money anywhere in the world. All you need is, you know, however many digits to send it to their wallet. Dude, I agree. I don't want to be too rough on the, uh, I mean, on these companies that are third partying their way, like Apple's taking 30% of all the apps, but at the end of the day, they've enabled, you know, these coders to create an application and sell, get, have access to be able to sell it to, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people. Uh, through the App Store, even though Apple charges the 30% or, or whatever it is on revenue. And same goes for YouTube, same goes for all these all these companies. Like I said, the Founding Fathers started out and they created the most incredible system of government. These companies started out and created the most incredible systems of decentralization that we've ever seen in the world uh, up to this point. All I'm saying is that, you know, over time to to remain in power, they are no longer decentralized. It's no longer beneficial for them. They're incentivized, in fact, to be a centralized company and exercise their control over over the medium that they provide. And, you know, it makes sense. But what we see with Bitcoin and now hopefully with blockchain and cryptography, that just the technology in general is exactly what you're talking about, where we're able to go a step further than YouTube and Apple did and take out those 30% fees, take out, once again, the middleman uh, I mean, even web hosting services, right? You shouldn't you shouldn't need to p- pay someone to host your website on on their server, um, and where they have the control or the ability to say, "Hey, this isn't the kind of content we want to host on our servers, so we're taking you down." And now you have no alternatives. Um, I mean, I think we've talked about IPFS. That's another thing that's that's going to happen is we're going to have immutable, just like Bitcoin, immutable websites, immutable messages, immutable. Everything. Do you think it's accurate to say that standardization helps things go from centralized to decentralized? Because what I'm thinking is, because you have like these cross currents, right? In some ways, things are getting more decentralized, but at the same at the same time, like everybody's on one app, right? Facebook. In some ways, it's getting more centralized, right? Our attention is only on Google, Facebook, Amazon, and so on, right? But to me the engine of standardization would empower decentralization. So like even just thinking in really old examples of that, like having the same gauge railroad track would enable even pockets of different railroads across the country that would eventually be able to be intermingled and better for all these decentralized little nodes because they're standardized in some way. Right. I mean, the only problem I have with that is when you say standardized, it implies that there is some central authority creating the standard. 
Right. Um, and I, I don't agree with that. Now, if we're talking about, I mean, a, a protocol like Bitcoin, which is managed by a group of developers, and then obviously, if they change the protocol, anyone running a mining machine, anyone running with a Bitcoin wallet, everyone would need to download the new protocol. I think that's a little bit different than saying, you know, they've they've changed the standard, I think, or maybe they did, but it's it's not the standard as we think of it, or at least as I think of it, which is generally a standard is centrally controlled either a government or some professional organization says, hey, this is how everything's going to go, and you don't have a say in the matter. Right. I guess that's a big gripe about standard standards being quickly expedient to control, but there's already huge incentives for standardization, even where the government's not concerned. Like, they're more so putting their stamp of approval on something that is already heavily incentivized to be standardized, Right. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think I think that's where we're going to be be headed anyway. I mean, you see, we've got a thousand different cryptocurrencies out there now, and each one enables us to do something totally different. And if it keeps on going at this pace, I mean, we're going to have tens of thousands of cryptocurrencies. And in order to watch a movie, I'm going to need one. If I want to watch a TV show, I'll need a different one. If I want to listen to music, I'll need a third. And so I'm going to have my money spread out into 10,000 different cryptocurrencies, and I'm going to be broke. Um, I don't like. I don't think that's feasible. I think there is a way to run everything on the most secure, secure protocol and build off that, such as like the Lightning Network and other layers. And I think it's actually important that we we're going to have to build off off of one protocol. And and as a society or, or whoever's actually involved in using cryptocurrencies is going to have to essentially vote with their feet or with their money and say hey, this is the one that I think we should use because it's most secure or whatever else. And no one knows which one it is yet. I think people are fighting for it. I think it's going to be Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you've got plenty of people that want it to be Ethereum and are putting their money in Ethereum. I'm not going to say anyone thinks it's going to be anything else, but maybe maybe there are people out there that do. Dogecoin. Yeah, Doge is... Uh, Elon Musk is behind the Dogecoin, so maybe that's the next one. But either way, I, I think we are going to... I don't want to say, I guess, centralized to one one or very few coins. And I don't think it's going to be this constant, it, it very difficult to switch between them. So if we are using alternate coins, it's going to be written in terms of a Bitcoin, if that's the one that wins out. So I think I, I agree with you that there's going to be one coin of value because you could have like a utility token or whatever, whatever, issue an NFT as a freaking... Uh, or a movie ticket or like a concert ticket as an NFT that way, like whoever it can trade freely. Right. And then whoever shows up with that NFT can provably like show that they bought it. Right. So I, I understand that there's going to be utility outside of just store of value, but I think the store of value function is dude, it's gotta be just extremely centralizing. I mean, I guess the, the example to use, historical example to use here is like gold and silver, where you would have lost a lot of money over time if you held most of your money in silver. And I think people understand that, kind of like the stock to flow idea of there being more silver mined as a percentage of that that's above ground. So to me, it's like Bitcoin, obviously, most reliable issuance, most decentralized, neutral, um, pre-mine if you will like all these all these factors point to it being the like the dominant it's the line yeah for people that don't know when you say neutral pre-mine because i just learned this recently too you're saying that you know the person who made it satoshi 
or whoever it is, didn't say, hey, you know, here's A to his five best friends, start mining this. Once you get a certain amount of the coin, I'm going to release it to the public, right? He was, I mean, he, he wasn't probably able to do that because he was the first one ever to create something like this. So it's not like it was able to take off instantly uh, or overnight like a lot of these other cryptocurrencies have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the pre-mine thing is just, he didn't separate like this 30% stays for the founders or this 30% stays for the developers or so on. He put out the rules and said, if you're mining it, this is like the issuance schedule. And according to legend or internet talk forums, he, <laughs> he mined, you know, around a million coins or whatever, as it was getting started off, but he played by the same issuance schedule, the same rules. And that's, that's the ultimate decentralization is people that obey rules and not rulers, right? The rule of law versus a monarch, a tyranny of democracy, tyranny of, of monarchy. Right. You know what I mean? Anyway, man, I'm bullish. I'm, uh, I should probably just scoop up some cheap stats right now, actually. Uh, we'll be back. We'll talk a little bit more about... Uh, peer-to-peer values and uh, decentralization and empowerment of the individual.